a professor here in Southern California has within the last few years written about the recent phenomenon of therapy. Um, essentially, and I believe it's no surprise, I mean, that doesn't shock anybody that we live in a therapeutic culture, but his book explains that if you were to trace all of the facts, all of the stats in the last 20th century till now, you would clearly see a massive rise of mental health professionals. It has increased exponentially in our time of life compared to any other generation in human history. Now, this isn't a negative observation. There's nothing wrong with therapy. This isn't a negative observation. But it's an observation, nonetheless, that must be dissected. Why the increase? Why has therapy and mental health professionals risen? Why the increase? What has changed? Well, according to this professor, and I don't necessarily disagree, he says it's due to freedom. He says it's due to freedom, which I think for us probably right now sounds a bit odd, right? Freedom? That, we, don't, we set up fireworks and drink Miller and watch Braveheart for freedom. We don't go to therapy for freedom. Well, so what am I referring to here? I'm talking about what this professor is talking about is the freedom of, 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 of determination and choice. The freedom of determination and choice. And not just choices like almond or soy milk, you know, Overland or Sepulveda, not those type of choices. It's the choices that condition us to operate as lone individuals. Think about this for a moment. Here are the three heaviest determinations that we as Americans now have to make or have made on our own. These being quite unique compared to any other cultures. Here they are. We have to figure these out. Vocation, what I'm going to do. Spouse, who in the world I'm going to marry. And residence, where will I live? I mean, in other cultures and other periods of times, these heavy, heavy decisions were done in the community of family, by family, and for the family as a whole. This is what was called like a strong group. This was, str- this was called a collective. <laughs> this was called a collective. <laughs> And what's crazy, these defining individualistic choices have been uh, something that have increased, have been increasingly done for, with, with, you know, by younger people at a very young age, right? 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, they have to figure this stuff out. I mean, it's, it's as Nietzsche said, the individual always had to struggle to keep from being overwhelmed by the tribe. See, if you try it, You'll be lonely often and sometimes frightened, but no price is too high to pay for the privilege of owning yourself. See, and it's this this owning yourself and making these heavy determinations that maybe so many of us right now with our demographic are making in this moment. We're going to school for these very, very determinations. It's these type of decisions that for the vast majority create what? Anxiety, stress, and even fear, thus the need for therapy, thus the need for mental health professionals. So now am I saying, let's go back to arranged marriages? Like, am I fighting for that right now? Well, of course not. Of course not. I'm not saying that. But I would like to make the case 
right now tonight that to deny, to make the case that to deny our natural inclination for individualism in a highly individualistic age is actually the way of Jesus. Is actually the way of Jesus to deny that. See, the way of Jesus is giving our life over for our community. God's intention was never for a bunch of spiritual rogue individuals. Like That's not what he set out to do. He set out to build a community. He set out to build a new community. And it's this communal relationship with Christians that we find out who we are and who Christ is. And so if I can really sort of explain just even that heaviness of what I just said, meaning you and I become fully, fully, fully human in the confines of community. Because despite of all what I'm saying and the rise and challenge of individualism, we still desire community like crazy, don't we? Despite the rise of mental health and all this type of stuff, we crave community, right? We want it. From homebodies to introverts, we still yearn for it. We want a sense of place, a togetherness. We want relationships. We want accountability, so on and so forth. Thus, the birth of everything from AA to the Yacht Club to Chess Club to groupies to Dungeons and Dragons to Comic Con to every support group at your local rec hall. We crave, 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 crave community. But even more than those, if you guys would allow me to say this, I mean, it seems like even with that list right there, we still come up empty-handed. We go through this giant list of these amazing communities, but we still come up empty-handed, right? I mean, it's like the hunt for Sasquatch or for the perfect burrito. We know it's out there. There's rumors of its existence, and we'd love to discover it. But we keep coming, coming up with um, dissatisfaction with what's out there. But I don't think any of the dissatisfaction compares with the community of the church. Many, many are dissatisfied with the community of a local church or their church uh, you know, abroad. Not just even dissatisfied. Some even possibly here tonight would say, no, no, we're not just satisfied with the community of the church. These Jesus followers were disgusted. See, I know so many who have left this community or left a community, a church community, and have even gone as far as to leave Christianity. They've left the faith. They've left Jesus for this exact reason, that a church community, a Jesus community, The very thing we're a part of could be too judgmental or too legalistic or too moralistic. Now, if that is you, if that is you and you are here tonight and you've been burnt badly by the church and you can't stand the community of the church, maybe you're disgusted by it and it's it's thrown you away from Jesus himself, know this, that is not at all what Jesus had in mind when he built and created and designed this community a local church community. I encourage you to listen today to see how the architect of the church, Jesus, has purposed the church to be, both in identity and also in doing. So Lorenzo sort of hit it, Pastor Lorenzo hit it, the fact that we are just taking like five small weeks to talk about the church. Because yes, we're turning one years old and that's very special, but we really just want to make sure that we're all on the same page of why in the world we're a part of this. Why in the world we're here? What are we doing? 
again, this will be hopefully a fun month as we look back and look forward and just kind of marvel at the favor that God's had on us in a year. Uh, A lot of church plants, especially in Los Angeles, especially the West Side, um, I mean, they, they struggle to get six months, nine months. And so what we have here is absolutely the favor of God because I can barely keep alive a houseplant, let alone plant a church. I mean, it's insane. All the houseplants that I love are dying, and I'm in tears. My wife's laughing at me, and I'm just, I can't even imagine that we've gotten this far. See, I want us to see this something, though, but the accomplishments that have happened within 12 months that were done in and through us, us, even if you've been here the last few months, it's happened in and through us. I don't want anybody to think if we've survived 12 months, oh, Pastor Casey and Pastor Lorenzo, good job. Bull honky. No. These are shared goals. The purest definition of community is shared goals and shared effort. This is an accomplishment that we are all a part of. And if I had the time, I would love to drag each and every one of you up into this you know, faux stage. And I want to celebrate all that you've done. There is tons of things that people have done in this room that I have no idea about. Lorenzo has no idea about it. And the other people here don't know that you've sacrificed for this community, all that you've given. I would love, I mean, maybe in heaven, like to see a transcript of your prayers for this community. It's beautiful. See, when I think of this community, more than any other community I've ever been a part of, when I think of this one, one idea one word and one verse comes to mind. And I want to read it together. Look at verse 34 of chapter 13 of the Gospel of John. You might have to flip the page. This is Jesus talking. He says, a new commandment I give to you. And here's that word, that you love. That you love one another. You guys know maybe you don't, what we hear the most as pastors of this church from visitors, from new people, from visiting family, from whoever who visit this church for the first time or who get involved, you know what we hear the most is that this community, this community is one of love. Honestly. Now, maybe some of you here are saying, you know, no, it's not. If that's not the case for you, I'm sorry. That's not what we'd hope for you. But our hope is to be a church community dripping with Christ's words in John 13. Love, love, love. Now, I have no idea how familiar you are with the Bible, but if you're reading this for the first time, uh, Christian or not, this verse is odd, right? I mean, if you have the Bible in front of you, we're like 60, 75% of the way through. And Jesus goes, I have a new commandment. So Jesus is with his bros. They've been together for a long time and he's about to do like this dubstep, you know, bass drop. I have a new commandment. I mean, the disciples, Jesus' followers in that moment must have been freaking out, right? Jesus is saying, I have a new commandment. They gotta be like, hot dog, Peter, get in here. Like he's about to drop a brand new commandment. This is an exciting moment. So they're sitting at his feet. They're all pumped up. And he goes, I give to you that you are to love one another. You can almost see the disciples be like, sort of a deflated moment. What? Listen, JC, that's been a commandment for a while. Like, what are they like? This has been around. 
Leviticus, the third book in the Bible, has been telling us to love for a while. It's okay, you forgot. Like, they're freaking, they've got to be freaking out like a new commandment. But Jesus goes on. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Are we eating what Jesus is cooking here? See, it's not the idea of love that is new for Jesus' followers. It's the standard of love for Jesus' followers. See, this new commandment presupposes a new paradigm. A new paradigm for who? Look at verse 34. What does it say? One another. This one another is a reference to the entire community of anybody in a local context, Jesus follower, whatever. So then what does that leave us? What is naturally the next question? Well, I'm glad you asked. It would be, how in the world did Jesus love us? Isn't that naturally the next question? Love how I have loved. Okay, how has Jesus loved? If that is this paradigm shift, how has Jesus loved? Because it's in this well of answers, we find out how this, how this is to operate in so much more. Now, before we move on, what I love about this verse is it's um, I, almost every word, at least in my Bible, is circled, or underlined, or doodled next to you because it's unbelievably rich. This isn't just a verse about loving one another. Give high fives and, and wink at people. Like, this is so much more. It points out what real, spiritual, biblical community must be. Real, spiritual, biblical, tangible, biblical a, a community must be. Must, must, must be. See, Jesus is flushing out that this, this community, is more than mutual compatibility. This community is to be more than like-minded individuals. We all like the Dodgers. We're a church. It has to be more than just a rally. It has to be more than a religious social club moose lodge. Simply put, it is a gathering around the person of Jesus in a way that dis, uh, displaces our selfishness. It displaces our selfishness so that we begin to live in the truest sense of real love. For us to love one another as he has loved us. Do we? It's so big. I mean, it's a love so real that it makes it possible to love each other beyond our fears, our, in, our incompat, uh, incapable, incompetent incompatibilities, our mistakes, our imperfections, our failures, our different skin colors, different genders, different, different demographics, and different preferences. I mean, I don't know about you, but that's the type of community I want to be a part of. I'm an absolute failure, idiot, moron. I've screwed up so many times, and you still love me with that type of love. I mean, it's a community that sees our non-attractive hang-ups and loves still. This is a community of natural enemies, yet we desire to commit to one another. This is a community of people with, that we probably normally wouldn't hang out with. Look around who's in this room. I mean, really? These are the type of people that we'd be hanging out with in high school? No, half of you would beat me up in high school. This is not a normal thing. And this is to be a community not defined by our standards or our 
preferences or purposes. Not defined that way. So how did Christ love us so that we may go and do likewise? Obviously, there's a handful of ways. So I'm just going to go over the most applicable for us as we're in this church series. And I'd say the first one, if you want to write it down, is by serving us. He loved us by serving. See, John chapter 13 is like the servanthood chapter, you know, it's, it's epic. Jesus literally only a few moments before the verses we just read, grabbed a towel and he grabbed some water from a basin, a basin and, and, and he got on his knees and he scrubbed and he soaked the feet of his disciples. I recently, don't tell anybody, but I recently got a pedicure at the mall, the Westfield Mall. You know the one on, uh, it's on Jefferson, that one? I recently got a pedicure and uh, don't do it. I mean, like, at least if you go to a nice one, but I have to tell you, it was unbelievably uncomfortable. It was like the Hulk was on my feet. But at the same time, there was so much eye contact as she's rubbing my feet. There's so much uncomfortableness and it was just very painful. But the point I'm trying to make, the point I'm trying to make, the super spiritual illustration I'm using is this. It's unbelievable. I just was uncomfortable for her. I was uncomfortable for her. Like, sorry, I was uncomfortable. It was just sort of humiliating in some respect. I just felt weird. Like you're scrubbing my feet. It was just a very, very um, awkward moment. But I just keep thinking about that moment here now with Jesus as he's holding his disciples' feet in his hands and they're soaking wet now. How uncomfortable yet how beautiful it must have been. Get this. I mean, washing the feet of weary travelers uh, would have been a job delegated to Gentile servants, meaning non-Jewish servants, because Jewish servants would be nowhere I mean, in no way, no shape, no form, no how, expected to do that vile task of washing the feet. No, they would, servants would be like, no, mm-mm. But despite how vile it is, despite who is in the room, Christ got on his knees, and like I said, he takes their feet, and in a humiliating act, washes. He washes the very feet of the person who's only moments away from standing up with brand new clean feet to walk out the door and betray. See, that is service. This is what Jesus says. Do you understand what I have done to you? So you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should just uh, you should do just as I, I, I have done to you. Friends, fellow community members here, the way of Jesus in community is one of service. Obviously, this goes beyond the regions of the church, but as we're, like I said, in the series in the church, I want to make greater application just for here. To be characterized by service is to be characterized by Christ's love. Hear me now. This is to be the posture of our life. Service is to be the posture of our life to be asking, who can I serve? To be asking where I can serve, how I can serve. I was literally studying last night, laid on the couch, having like trying to prep this whole thing, and I came to this point in the talk, and I remembered that my wife asked me to get her some headache medicine, and I was like, come on, I'm busy talking, prepping a sermon about servanthood. And I was so convicted 
that later I asked her, like, hey, can I get those pills for you? And she's like, that was an hour ago, but I tried to make up for it. The point is, that was not my posture in all of life. I could show up here, Brian, what do you need, bro? I'll give you anything. You need some medicine, medicine for headache? Awesome. But then at home, it's a constant, constant, constant posture of our life is, who can I serve? Where can I serve? When can I serve? See, a posture of service conditions us in countless ways to think and act not as individuals. To serve is to sort of strip away that individualistic, like, snakeskin that can sometimes creep up on us. See, as members of a body, as a family, as a, you know, like a, a Jesus community, I really want to make this point. Here's the point. The community of Jesus can and hopes to do so much good in the world. Like, we, like we have, the church has massive plans. The people in the church have massive plans. Social justice, volunteer here, there, give here and there, show up here and there. All these really beautiful things that we want to go out and do. Awesome things. But often, that happens with then neglecting the household of faith, the local church. I'm reminded of the New Testament author Paul and his words to the church in Galatia, where he says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everybody. Yeah, social justice, we should be doing all this type of stuff, yes. But then he goes on, and especially to those who are in the household of faith. I heard somebody this past week describe it this way. Essentially, how can we send people out to serve the world if our own house is in disarray? If it's dirty here? If we won't push a broom here? You see the analogy that I'm trying to get at. See, if we can't even clean house here, something is off. Friends, hopefully you see how this is not about getting things done. I really want that to come across. This is not about getting things done. It's not, about, it's, it's not about warm bodies in certain spots or whatever that could be. This is about crushing our natural inclination to individualism and selfishness by scrubbing feet. I was like 15 years old. I remember I put my life in Jesus. Uh, my senior pastor was walking around and he was, a, he was an older gentleman and I just went up to him and I was like, I just became a Christian. I know who you are. You don't know who I am, but I just want to serve. I mean, I want to do something. I want to, I want to be a pastor. I, I want to, I'm crazy about Jesus. Let's do something. And I thought he was going to train me and I thought he was going to do X, Y, and Z. And he, like a total father type, he put his arm around me and he took me and he was walking with me. He said, that's so great. That's so great. And he brought me to this door. And written on the door was this little sign, this green door. It was down this tiled hallway, and it said janitorial. And he literally unlocked it with his key, and he walked in, and he walked out with a plunger. And he says, sir, scrub toilets. And I remember thinking, mama, like you don't want to put me in some sort of theology class? I mean, I just got saved like a week ago, but I can teach or do premarital counseling. I'm 15, pastor. And he says, he's just like, you're going to wipe toilet seats. You're going to do something humiliating. You're going to do something uncomfortable. And I scrubbed toilets for six to seven years. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm some rad toilet hero. (laughs) 
I'm saying that because my heart took a lot, a lot of just like, get this in your disgustingly thick skull, Casey, what this community is about. It took me years upon years upon years upon years to realize what it means to be part of a church or part of a community. And for me, during those six or seven years, my portion of being a part of the body was to make sure that those toilets were so unbelievably spotless. I wanted to be able to learn what it meant to serve others. Like, first, see, I didn't have an issue with servanthood. It wasn't, it wasn't like, I got to learn to serve. I was an excellent servant. The problem was I was just wanting to serve myself. So what this was working out in me, which I would love for to be worked out in us, is the household of faith, faith, us, this community, first. Because that is to set fire to the parasite of consumerism. That's what we want to do. We talked about it pretty in-depthly last week about squashing and, and ridding this community of the parasites can so easily creep in of consumerism. I mean, it's, it's a crazy thought to think that people can show up to a church or any community across, you know, wherever, and they show up to just receive or to just sing, which is so insane because the one we're singing to, the one we're worshiping, is the Lord and King who came to serve. We sing songs like, yes, you came to serve. Not me. Fellow Christians here who are part of this local community, and who are not currently engaged in that servant, that service with this local body, I'd love to know your thoughts about what I just went over. What will you do with these verses? How will you respond? Let me just put the matzo ball out there. Do you know that you are designed and gifted in such a way that we as a local community can not fully function without you. If this is where you go, this is my community, and you are not involved, we can not fully function without you. Now, this isn't a guilt trip. This is a gift awakening. I want us to have an awakening of how we can view our contribution. I'm just scrubbing toilets. No, you're not. It is so much more. See, if we aren't functioning as Christ has called us to function within this community, then I say gently, but I say it firmly, then the entire community, the entire body will suffer. We are lesser if any one of us who are part of this community decides to do less. See, if my toes decided to take off for the day or not be a part of this, would the rest of the body be like, cool, Little piggies, like, go, have a blast. Of course not. Imagine, remember, that, remember how, the, how the every ending of like the Power Rangers ended? Every, every episode, you guys remember that? Super relevant, right, guys? Every, every episode will end with what? The Power Rangers coming together to form that giant robotic body. Do you remember that? What happened, though, if the Red Ranger's like, nah, mm-mm. And so it's just like the arm doesn't show up, the leg doesn't show up, the torso thing where they hung out doesn't show up. <laughs> Think about this. What would happen the other day if some people are going to love this illustration? Probosco, this is for you, baby. What happened the other day if Kershaw in the ninth inning said, nah, 
I'm not going to go to the bullpen and warm up. What would happen? Would we have clinched it? No. In my opinion, no. So it's true. It is true of collective church that we need you. I don't know how to say that more. Not to just fill some job here or there because we are lesser. We are lesser. We are not whole without you. The Apostle Paul again, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body. I haven't called any of you when we're like, hey, be a part of this body. God arranged us to be together. He pulled from some Chicago. He pulled some from Austin. He pulled some from different parts of LA to be together. God has arranged this. Each one of them as he chooses, as he chose, as he picks and places. If all were a single member, then where would the body be? It's like it from Adam's family running around. Where's the body? It's just taking off. No, thing. The thing. You know what I'm saying. It's the, anyway. Verse 20. As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. But the natural question in this moment is what? Yeah, but, but I'm busy. Yeah, but I'm busy. I just want you guys to know this. Nobody has to tell anybody we're busy. Trust us. We know. Everybody's busy. If you're not busy, something else is going on. It's just that's the new way of life. We're all busy. Show me one person in Los Angeles whose schedule isn't full, and I will show you that they've been here for like 24 hours or something's wrong. Even my kids, like, I can't do chores. I'll email you back, Dad. (laughs) Friends, a Jesus Church community takes sacrifice. That being the second way Christ loves us, it takes sacrifice. Now hear me so, 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 so clearly. Please, please. Now I'm not saying sacrifice your job to volunteer here. I'm not saying sacrifice your family to volunteer here. I've been part of communities like that. It's very, very deadly and very unhealthy. University students, I'm not saying sacrifice your assignments and finals to volunteer here. This isn't some long volunteer announcement. This is a call to love one another and the community you identify with, with sacrificial love as Christ commanded. And tonight, it's about reevaluation of our busyness. Because again, I'm not going to buy it. We're not going to buy it. We shouldn't buy it. If busyness means, yeah, but I've got to catch the game here. <laughs> I'm busy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a reevaluation of what it means to be busy in the priority of a church community that Christ himself has built. We have, I'm so blown away by the amazing people in this community. You guys, again, I don't even know if you realize how beautiful you are. There's amazing, like, nurses and businessmen and businesswomen in here and working moms and touring musicians, each of who has made it a priority to sacrificially serve this community, you and me. Probably in ways we'll never even realize And then, again, 
hear the way I say this again, there are some here who desire community in the purest sense. Beautiful, yes. But they desire it to be delivered on the backs of others. Which is like wanting to be dropped off by a helicopter at the top of Everest. No, you're, you're missing the point. It's like wanting to keep the trophy when we've been on the bench all season. Missing the point. It's like wanting community, but not being engaged with sacrifice and service for the local church, for one another. See, this is why, if you knew this or not, 12 months in, I hope you guys have known this, this is why we've named this community Collective. We could have named the church anything, right? You, name, you can name it anything. Fritz Nation, Redemption, Renaissance, something, something R-E, whatever. But we wanted a name that every time we say it on our lips, it pokes our heart that our identity informs, our identity as community informs our engagement. It's a word that overflows with togetherness. And if not, we should have just called the church, you know, individual church, Lone Ranger Church. Because how confusing it is to say that we're a part of collective church and somebody says, awesome, tell me what that's like. Tell me about your, 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 your collective engagement. And you're like, well, I eat the cookies and those are delish. So what I'd like to do is propose, propose a, um, a reformation for our small, little, amazing community here. I don't want a reformation of church community. I don't want a reformation of sacrifice and service, but I would love a reformation to paint it a new color, a, paint a, you know, a reformation of our expectations. You see, could it be that it's not community that's skewed? but it's our expectations of community that's skewed. Meaning, there's been a lot of people who by chance, maybe by chance, have a romantic view of community, but not a real view of community. I mean, again, what we have here, this isn't natural. This isn't natural. None of us would just every Friday night, like, let's go hang out with this group of people. This isn't normal or natural. As much as we all desire to be like Chandler and Joey and Ross and Rachel, like that's just not natural. That's make-believe. And again, that's not even the point. Church, are we willing to be part of a community that doesn't, mean, doesn't meet any of our preferences? I didn't say convictions. I said preferences. Are we willing to be part of a community where not a single person is like us? Are we willing to be part of a community where we serve in any capacity? Are we willing to be part of a community where we don't even have a lot of friends? Far too often we see church as a place to make friends. We join discipleship groups as a place to make friends. Don't get me wrong, friendships are often the byproduct of community but it's not the goal. The writers in the New Testament use different words to describe how we would approach one another. Words more like family. 
Is anybody BFF with their family? Nah. Maybe there's like a cool sister thing here that I don't know about or a cool brother, whatever. But nobody's BFF with their family. But are they committed to them? Yeah. The Bible uses words like a body, like a physical body to describe us. Fingers needing toes and toes needing a pumping heart and a pumping heart needing ears to hear. This isn't a mingle, get-to-know-you friendship land. We are people coming to stir one another up. To go Sunday night, I'm going to stir one another up. We used this verse last week out of the book of Hebrews, and I want to read it in its fuller context to just sort of blow our minds. This is what it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us, community, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We do not come to either Sunday gatherings like this or our discipleship groups, wherever we as a community will gather to form ideas. Let's get together and make a bunch of ideas. Get a whiteboard. We don't think that we get together just again, like I said, let's just see if we can be the best of friends. We don't get together just to consume. We must consider and examine and think of ways to push each other to never lax in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Ah. Back in the day, if people wanted to be near to God, they'd have to rock like, 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 an, like an animal sacrifice. And a priest, not you or I, a priest will then have to go through, walk past the thick curtain, and on the other side there be God. He would go in there one day a year on your behalf and offer a blood sacrifice for our wrongdoing because we are naturally enemies with God. But are we getting this, what happens? This verse pushed that, puts that entire framework on its head. No, I'm distant from God. God is there. You go take care of my issues with God puts that entire framework on the head. So now what? Look at verse 20 again in the book of Hebrews. Maybe it'll come up. So by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean for an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do we see the magnitude, the cosmic quake that is this verse? We have a more glorious priest, a high priest, who took our guilt, our shame, our evil consciousness, and eliminates its dominance over us by sacrificing himself on the altar. The sheep no or excuse me, the priest no longer goes in with the sheep. The priest went in and took his own life. He is the sacrificial lamb. He put himself on the altar. So that whatever be setting self-righteousness, pride, fear, hatred, anger is as well placed on the altar and removed. This is true for anyone here who wants to follow Christ, accept his sacrifice so that we may be able to go past the curtain 
and be near to God. See, God is no longer there. The Old Testament is filled with God there and God is there and God is there. The New Testament is filled with God is here. And not just here, God is here in our midst. And in light of this unbelievably severe truth, severe truth, we must gather and inspire and stir another one another up to this new reality. No, no, don't forget God is not there. We have to get together. Dave, don't forget. Don't live that way. Bryce, this is how it looks like. Now, this is what it means to follow Jesus. We are to come together and stir so that we don't slither back into guilt or shame and the like. The community gathers and in the power of the Holy Spirit spurns us on and sharpens us and straightens us out. That's why transformation, hear me on this one, transformation takes place in community, not, not, not in isolation. It takes place in community. Sadly, the stirring for so many has become Sunday, you know, Sunday afternoon, maybe go, ah, there's nothing in it for me there. Instead of, how can I put something into it for others? Church, Christianity is not an isolated faith system designed for consumers. Christianity is one of love, commitment, and load-bearing. Following Jesus in isolation will demolish, will demolish us, will demolish us. That's why the Bible implores us to awake to the reality of our identity of belonging to one another. It's an identity of belonging to one another. The huge theologian and author John Calvin, he says it like this. Whoever then desires to be truly a disciple of Christ and to be acknowledged by God, let him form and direct his whole life to love the brethren and let him pursue that object with diligence. So what I want to do now is I want to bring up a real living, breathing example of one who pursued the object with diligence. And I want him to share with his own words, in his own words, on this very matter. So let's welcome up Kevin. This is Kevin. Get your microphone, buddy. Sorry. This is Kevin. I want him to share. I really want him to share because I've heard his thoughts on community. I've heard what he's had to say about this community, and it's, it's something that will completely, hopefully, inspire us all. I love you. We're in discipleship group together? We are. Yeah. yeah. Represent. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, hi, guys. Um, I'm Kevin. Uh, I volunteer with Kidsmen very recently. Um, woo! Kidsmen. Um, B-team. Um, that's the weeks. Never mind. Um, uh, but before coming to Collective, uh, I wouldn't say I was unchurched. Um, in fact, kind of the opposite. I was attending lots of churches. Uh, I was kind of getting my fill of the worship and the teaching all over L.A. Uh, I would pick sort of which church I went to on Sundays, like picking the restaurant I wanted to go to for dinner. What was I in the mood for today? You know, it was sort of like, oh, I want to go here for the music, or maybe, oh, I like that guy talking, so I'm going to go for him today. Um, I was on the receiving end of a lot of church, but giving nothing of myself in return. Uh, I was consuming church and not committed to church. Um, 
So I began going to neighborhood dinners for a collective in sort of in the spring as part of my spiritual buffet. Uh, and w- as I was there um, talking with both people I knew and people I didn't know, I felt God calling me to, to deeper relationship, um, uh, to more than just what I was doing. Um, I've, I've always been independent, as I'm sure a lot of people are, especially in L.A., uh, and I'd kind of been approaching my faith the same way. I thought my relationship with God was just that. It was my relationship. And it had nothing to do with anybody else. Um, it was m- between me and Jesus. Uh, I had personal faith, but I lacked corporate faith together in community with other people. Um, and the truth is we are offered and called to more than just personal faith. Not that that's not a part of it, but in coming to collective and growing into a deeper relationship and joining a discipleship group and starting to volunteer and learning to, to love the people I was with, God showed me that church is not just a building and not just a Sunday gathering. Uh, a church is a community. I mean, that's what a church is. Um, and if that's true, then just attending on Sundays didn't really suffice um, because the demands of community are love and vulnerability and honest investment in one another. That's what made Christianity so radical in the early church, and that's still what Christ calls us to today, especially probably today, considering how, as Casey kind of already laid out, how individualistic we've grown. Um, And you you already mentioned 1 Corinthians 12 and how it was describing the church as a single body. Um, And that passage goes on and says, that there may be no division in that body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Members of the same body. Though we're no longer separated by the things that divide us, wholly united in community with Christ. And I, I think that description is very fit, fitting of suffering together and rejoicing together. A true, intentional, risky commitment to one another. Because there's cost. If I really, really deeply care about this person, I'm willing to, I risk suffering with them. Um, but if I don't do that, I'm not, certainly not going to be able to rejoice with them either. Um, so if, if you are like I was, living with Christ on only safe, personal terms, or not at all, I encourage you to, to dive into community volunteer, live life together, Um, invest in one another. Don't let yourselves miss out on the richness of being known and loved, not just by God, but by one another, because that's what this community is for. So, Get back to kids, okay? I um to be honest, it was just I I really hope that you didn't think that we brought him up to just try to paint a picture of uh hey, how how much can collective church be the hero of his story? That that's not it at all. That's not it at all. Jesus is the hero of his story. I loved his story. I love where God has brought him. I remember being at neighborhood dinners with him and seeing him become more and more and more part of this community. 
And so I would even just say this. Collective church is not the hero of the story. We are not like all hung up on, they got to be part of this community. Nope. We want you part of a Jesus-proclaiming, Holy Spirit-driven, God-honoring, biblical-based, gospel-centered community. And that doesn't have to be with us. Please find a community and pour your whole life into it. I want to finish with this as we go in our time of response with hearing how Jesus sums up the point about our love for one another. Verse 35 of John 13. We're going to finish this up because this is so wonderful. By this, that new commandment love, all people will know that you are my disciples. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Out of the countless ways that the world could figure out that the world that we could identify with Jesus, evangelism and big shiny events and flashy worship, outrageously anointed preachers or crusades and tours. All the ways to identify with Jesus is measured by how we identify with one another. A type of love that serves and sacrifices. So we're going to finish with this. Minister and author Francis Schaeffer says it like this. After we have done our best to communicate to a lost world, still we must never forget that the final apologetic which Jesus gives is the observable love of true Christians for true Christians. If you and I, if we hope for Santa Monica, Culver City, to to Venice, to Beverly Hills, in our offices or our classrooms or with our spouse or with our roommates, if we desire for them to know Christ, hear Christ, touch Christ, see Christ, enjoy Christ, and experience Christ in his fullness, they will find him in a serving, sacrificing, loving community. The church, as Jesus has built it, is the, in, is the visible It's the visible image of an invisible Savior. Amen?